Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Sunday morning and night, and then again tonight. Lion illustrations seem to be plentiful for some reason. I mentioned last week that I was steps from one of the lions that was used as an MGM lion and a place where animal actors were. DJ was with me there, and we were filming with a bunch of different animals that had been in different commercials and movies. And this week, I saw a a video from that, a screenshot of that lion I took from that video. We'll put that screenshot up there. And uh, uh, that is the male lion. You'll see that thing that the trainer is getting him to stand on. And he was trying to get him to sit on that while we were about to take a group picture. And right before that, about five minutes before that, they had brought him, his name was Jacob. They had brought Jacob out of his cage, and he had gotten, ran, we were all out there behind a fence you can't see right here, and he had ran off, got out of the leash and ran, and loose in their little thing. Now, it wasn't a zoo, it's a place where we're the only guests that were in there at that time. Next picture shows us, them trying to get the lion on that thing. That's me in the back right with the teal shirt there. I was trying to be as far away from that lion as I could be. And uh, that was, I mentioned that last week, we were filming there with a bunch of animal actors. They had a thing you could do where you stay in a safari canvas tent. I think they called the program like Roar and Snore or something like that. You could stay in this tent, and the idea was you sleep there, and you can hear the lions roaring through the night. In the morning, they brought—we did this. We were filming for a youth conference, and and in the morning, they brought a giraffe um, to our tent and to our porch and breakfast in bed. We got out of our bed and gave breakfast to the giraffe. We were feeding the giraffes right there, and they had this program, and we enjoyed it, and it was all fun and games till DJ got bit in the ear by a lynx the next day. And uh, he was very angry. We have videos of that. We'll show you later if you want to see it. And it was good times. He's still a little mad at me about that one, but, uh, but we've, we've moved on and we've reconciled our friendship there. Um, but I was reading, I was reading that that attraction where you can sleep in a safari kind of thing, a nighttime program, is, is not, that was not, in Northern California, not the only place where you could do that. I was reading about a group in November of this last year in Sydney, Australia. Um, Sydney, Australia, where they were doing the same thing. There were three school groups, and then there were uh, a few families that were spending the night in in this Sydney zoo. I forget the name of the zoo, but it's in Sydney. You can look it up later. Don't do it during church. And they were were, uh, staying there, and they were only about 100 yards, staying about 100 yards from the lion enclosure. And they all got up early in the morning. One of the things you get to do if you stay in this program is you get up early in the morning. Animals like this are more active during the morning hours before all the park visitors are coming in, like at 9 or 10 o'clock. They're already kind of lazy and taking their first nap of the day. So you're there early, and they're going to take you around and see the animals while they're active and while they're feeding and things. And so the three school groups and the, the families, they got up, and they were getting ready for the day, somewhere in the restroom, somewhere in their tents, all of those things. And Unbeknownst to them, that lion enclosure about a hundred yards away, a male lion, I think we have a picture of this male lion here, and I think his name is Otto or something like that, A-T-O, and then we have a picture, the next one shows him with three or four of his cubs, and this, these are pictures from the Sydney Zoo, this is that lion and four of his cubs, they found a spot in what was supposed to be a lion-proof fence, a mesh fence, and they got out. You can go, they show kind of the security footage. 
and they were out in this zoo for about 10 minutes before anybody realized it. And these people, these school groups and these people were staying, and about 10 minutes in, an alarm went off, and the zoo uh, personnel sprung into action. They ran where their guests were to find them. They got them into their training, their program, got them into their safe spot, and they started to do a head count and found out they were missing two of the school children. And one of the, one or more, a couple of the zoo employees, risking their own lives because literally no one knew where this male lion or the four cubs were, ran back out to go find these two children. They ran to the tents to see if they were in there anywhere, and they weren't. And, and they, they, they then ran to the restroom to see if they were in there, and thankfully they were both there in the restroom and nobody had been caught or not eaten or whatever, nobody had been attacked. And they ended up getting all of the lions back in without incident. And, and they did that, but can you imagine the fear and the terror and really the danger that those people were in because of a weak spot in the fence? Why do I tell you that story? Because I'm trying to break the record for the number of lion illustrations used in a single sermon series, that's why. Why do I tell you that story? It's a reminder that fences are important. Fences are often put up for our protection. In this series, Sacred Cows, finding biblical unity even when we disagree. In this series on Sacred Cows, we're looking at things that believers can disagree about and still find biblical unity. My first message was entitled, What is Your Baby Cow's Name? I've, I've defined a sacred cow for the sake of this series as a strongly held personal um, belief, if you will, or practice that is neither commanded nor forbidden in the Bible. If something is commanded or forbidden in the Bible, then it's not up for debate. It's not a gray area. It's not, well, you can decide what you want to do, and I, well, I, I you know, I, I love whatever, and you love whatever, and we, and we, it's up for, no, if the Bible is clear on something, then it's not up for debate. We stand strong on what the Bible is strong about, but there are areas of, at times, of personal preference and personal practice and places where good people can land a little differently in areas of personal practice and personal belief, and even churches can land a little differently in some things, and you'll see that if you travel the world today, you'll see that where churches have a little bit of different flavors, but they're preaching the same gospel. They're lifting up the same Jesus. If you've ever traveled outside of America, it will open your eyes to some of the differences culturally around the world. And then you get into generationally, and if you study history, you'll find out that at times, again, things that were commonplace, I mentioned it in the first week, that if we were all living a hundred years ago, they wouldn't let any of us in to church. Every lady would have had a, a hat on, every man would have had a full suit and tie, and maybe a hat and an overcoat. And by the way, that wouldn't have just been for church. Go look at a uh, hundred years ago, the crowd at Yankee Stadium. You ever see those pictures? In fact, go even beyond that. Go look at the crowd in some of those old beachside restaurants 100, 120 years ago. People going to the beach, they would go with full Sunday dress and lay out their blankets. And, and whether it's good or bad or right or wrong, we can, we, but the reality is that sometimes some of these things change culturally, regionally, generationally. And so understanding what is your baby cow's name, we all have them, some things that we feel strongly about, that if we're being honest with ourselves, they might not be bad things to feel strongly about, but are they things that are dividing lines of fellowship and rejoicing and friendship with other believers? Uh, do we have 
clear scriptural support for that, or is it a personal decision, which is fine. And we see it in Romans 14. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. That's where this series is, Romans chapter number 14. We see that we're not the first generation to deal with stuff like this. Paul is writing to the Romans. And they had some really strongly held beliefs that were neither forbidden nor commanded in Scripture, but they felt like they were. They were were fighting about them in their church. Some could not eat meat offered to idols, and others said, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. And Paul said, the reality is, it's not a big deal, but if it's a big deal for them, it's a big deal for them. And he taught this church family, uh, and these, these Christians, this group of believers, he taught them how to approach these areas that we might call, and we don't like this because today we live in a day of subjective truth where, where everything is subjective, moral relativism, everything is, you know, however you're feeling, today's truth is different from yesterday's truth. No, truth is timeless. And so we don't like this term of gray areas, but the reality is there just are some gray areas, some areas where God gives us what the Bible calls liberty or freedom to come to some different personal stands based on upbringing, based on on context, based on culture, based on where we live, who we're reaching, that are different. The church that I grew up in, uh, when I was on staff, it was a requirement for, uh, for, for and my, my pastor and, and, and my, the whole time I was there, unless it was a special Sunday, every service we wore a shirt, uh, suit, shirt, and tie. I still do that often, but I do, don't do that every service. But I remember as a young married man, as I traveled with my pastor and my father-in-law, and we went to Hawaii to a friend's, and we were there on vacation, and then we went to a friend's church and he preached. And I remember my father-in-law wearing a Hawaiian shirt to preach in on a Sunday. And I remember thinking, this is something that is neither forbidden nor commanded in Scripture. This is a personal preference, a personal thing for the context of the church in which we're in. But when we're with someone else, this is not a matter that I have to take a strong stand. No, I'm going to do what makes sense. They're in an island town that nobody is showing up to church like that. If you've ever been to Hawaii, that's just not the culture. That's not what they do. And and so I remember my father-in-law had no problem standing up and preaching without a tie in that context and in that culture. And that's what that church did. And these are small areas, but there are even some areas where, where, to be honest, good believers can come down differently on some things in eschatology, and when is, 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 is Christ returning? Pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. I know pastors that are far, far wiser Bible students than me that disagree on when He's returning. We both agree that He is returning. We both agree that the end result, we're all going to end up in the same place together. But me personally, I am what, what would be called a pre-trib, pre-mill, pre-millennium rapture. I believe the imminence of the second coming, the imminence of the rapture. I believe that it could happen any day, and it will happen before the tribulation, not in the middle of the tribulation, not after the tribulation. I'm not amillennial. Uh, those things. Here's the reality. In my opinion, that is, and I've said this for years here when I taught through the book of Revelation, that is not a doctrine, in my opinion, that's worth dividing over. Because it changes nothing about how we live for Christ today. We'll let them be wrong and us be right. If he wants to go through three and a half years of the tribulation, let him do it. I'm going to heaven before it. Here's the reality. If I'm wrong, it changes nothing about how I do ministry today, how I live my Christian life today. 
And so we have to understand, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. I think we'll have probably three or four more weeks of this service, this is, uh, of this series. This is week number three. I think I, I, think I have four more um, outlined, and we'll see where it goes. I don't think we'll do more than that. I think it'll end up being a seven-week series. And we'll talk some more about some of those things. But the reality is there are some things where we, where two sincere, biblical, godly believers can disagree and both be right. Gray areas do exist. And I've talked about that. I talked about what's your baby cow's name, identify that all of us have them. And then last week I talked about mad cow disease. You remember that? When our baby cow, it starts to, our our sacred cow starts to poison our church. It starts to poison our spirit toward other believers. And that, that becomes something that begins to bring great damage to the family of God and to the cause of Christ. Tonight's message is going to go in a little different direction. And it's going to remind us that not everything is a gray area for the believer. Sometimes we are, led, we are led to believe that we should just live and let live. Tolerance, acceptance, affirmation are the buzzwords of the day. To stand for anything is sometimes considered hateful in 2023, but I want to remind us that it is good for believers to have some fences up in their lives for their protection and the protection of those they love. And all of my titles, I'm trying to be a little creative, they've all been either cow-related or farm-related, and what is your baby cow's name and mad cow disease. And so tonight, the message title is this, Don't Take Down Every Fence. We've talked for a couple of weeks about the importance of giving some grace and space to believers that might land on what we would call preferential issues a little differently than us. Not doctrinal issues, not not core doctrine, not fundamental issues in in our belief system, but in some generational, regional, cultural, personal areas where you may, I know good Christians that have a personal belief, they do not have a television in their home, and others that do. And some that will not allow their children to partake in, and you fill in the blank, and others that do. And I mentioned some that will not celebrate certain holidays in certain ways, whether it's Easter or Christmas, and others that do. And we can give some grace and some space there, but be careful. Here's the balance to this. Be careful that we don't begin to believe that everything is up for grabs. Let's just take all the fences down, and it doesn't matter. We have liberty in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. We can do whatever we want because we're, we're saved. No, the Bible calls that abusing grace. The Bible says the grace of God teaches us we should live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. He says, yes, you've received grace, but don't abuse that grace. There is a danger of sacred cows, which I've talked about the last two weeks, which I would say is elevating preference to doctrine and unnecessarily dividing over those things. But there is also a danger of free-range cows. Where we lower doctrine to preference, we pull down all the fences, and we unnecessarily displease Christ and cause others to do the same. No guide to our beliefs, moral relativism, anything goes. Uh, Whatever whatever feels good, whatever seems good, whatever is politically correct, whatever is culturally popular, that's what we're going to do. No, church family, we must know what the Bible teaches and keep some fences up. Yes, we can give some grace where believers have different preferences. even strongly held standards in their lives that we may not share, but everything in the Christian life is not a matter of personal preference. Can I say that again? Everything in the Christian life is not a matter of personal preference. There is objective right and wrong, black and white truth. I want to read an interesting warning that Jesus gave to his disciples. I've read it many times, and I'll be honest, I don't know that I really comprehended it or understood it until recent months. I began to kind of dig into it a little bit more. It's found in two different places in the Gospels where it's recorded. 
In the Gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter number 8, verse number 15, let's put that up there if we can, and let's read that aloud together. Ready? Begin. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. I don't know about you. I don't live 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. I don't, I'm not surrounded by Pharisees, and I don't really know a whole lot about Herod and his kingdom and his belief system. This is not applicable. This is not really relevant to my culture. So I read that, Jay, and I just kind of read it. Okay, be careful of the— And in the Bible, leaven is almost always a picture of sin. It's a picture of when you put yeast into a loaf of bread, that little bit of yeast, it, it affects the whole loaf. And so be careful that you don't allow little things into your life that can bring corruption or poison to the, to the totality of your life. But it's interesting here. He says, beware of the leaven of who? Of the what church? Pharisees. Pharisees. And then the leaven of who? This is interesting, because they would have understood this, and Matthew's gospel says it this way, it says, beware of the leaven of Pharisees and Sadducees, and and it's really the same idea. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees? Really, it was the leaven of hypocrisy. It was the leaven of pride. Look at me. We've got this all figured out. We're the ones closest to God. Our tradition over doctrine, our tradition over people, our preferences over scriptural principles. In fact, they thought they were so close to God, they thought they were righteous in opposing God's only begotten Son. They were so caught up in their religious traditions and preferences and actions and dress and and rules and all the things they kept that they missed the Son of God. And he said, be careful that leaven of hypocrisy, of pride, of of preference over over people, of tradition over people, of preference over principle. They taught the right thing, and then they added a whole bunch more of their burdens to it. They believed the Old Testament, but then they added a whole bunch of man-made rules on top of it. He said, watch out, and this would be kind of what our first two messages were about. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That you don't start getting lifted up in pride, man, I thank God that I have more rules in my life than so-and-so. I thank God that I don't look like so-and-so. I thank God that I believe this, and get, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Be, be careful about letting your sacred cow get elevated to the point of doctrine. Jesus says, watch out for elevating our sacred cows. The, the Pharisees, that leaven was outward over inward. But what is the leaven of Herod? This is an interesting thing as you study it. The leaven of Herod really was this, it was worldliness. It was pragmatism. The the, the leaven of Herod, they were politicians. It was all about what was personally beneficial. What's going to build my kingdom, if I might say, what's going to build my church the fastest? What's going to get me the most money? What's going to give me the most power? Whatever it might be, it it was go along to get along, pragmatism. Uh, it was, they were compromisers, they were politicians, they used religion to eat the Sadducees and the leaven of hair, they used religion to serve sinful purposes. It was this idea of everything goes. And Jesus said, I want you to understand there's a ditch on both sides. 
There's a ditch on the side of the leaven of the Pharisees. Hypocrisy, I'm lifted up in pride. Look at how religious I am. Look at how, how, how much of the Bible I know. Look at how much of the Bible I live. Look how beautiful my robes are. Look at me. I'm really close to God because of all of these external things I do. But then he said, be careful, beware of the leaven of Herod. He said, watch out for just letting anything go and doing whatever is expedient personally and politically. Whatever helps you get ahead the quickest and get Getting rid of all morals and all, uh, all, all, all really those things that would keep you in line, all fences, if you will. Be careful of that. Jesus says, watch out for the poison of doing whatever feels good and seems best in the moment, not being guided by truth and biblical principles. Here's the reality, church. There's a ditch on both sides. Some of you grew up in religious traditions where preferences were preached as fundamental doctrine. And as you got older, you began to see some hypocrisy. And you began to study the Bible, and you realized that some of what you were told that was foundational to every Christian's life were really just matters of personal preference or cultural emphasis in certain generations and regions. And you began to see outside of your bubble, and you looked and said, boy, that was, that was filled with the leaven of the Pharisees. So you found liberty in areas that you didn't have maybe as a younger Christian. And to be honest, if that's you, the teaching the last couple of Sundays has been some of your favorite ever. You've loved the last two weeks of the Sacred Cows series. Yeah, that's right, Pastor, that's, that's how I grew up, and we got off target, and man, it was, it was hypocritical, and it was, we looked down on people that didn't do everything like we did. Preach it, Pastor, we don't need all those rules, all that legalism, we don't need that. Preach, and you loved those first two, that is some in this room. It's been helpful and refreshing to you to hear that, but may I say this as a counterbalance to that, there is a danger for many in this generation, and the danger is not too many extra-biblical rules. There's a danger in this generation, and it's the opposite. It's not that there are too many rules or too many extra-biblical guides in your lives and your church experience. It is that we have devalued even scriptural truths and been led to believe that anything goes, even as Christians, because we saw maybe somebody put too many fences up and put them up too high and put them up a little too close to the house, we think the answer is we're taking them all down. And may I say to you, beware the leaven of Herod. I have freedom in Christ. May I say this? Freedom in Christ isn't a license to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Talk to me now. God forbid. God forbid. And so we've got to be careful wherever we, and some of you didn't grow up with that, and so you're kind of like confused, like, what's this series really about? Why is he talking about all of this, and what does this mean? And it doesn't really make sense, and I, I, I'm going to keep coming, I guess, because I'm supposed to come to church on Sunday night, but you're, you're like, I don't really understand. What are you talking about, Pastor Ryan? I've never seen Christians like that. I've never seen a church like that. But all of us need, and I would say it this way. I would say my, my generation and below, for the most part, I know there are pockets of this, but for the most part, I don't think the danger is too many guidelines and too many standards and too many convictions and too many fences in our lives. If anything, it's probably that we saw some of the error maybe in a generation or two before us, and if we're not careful, we've let the pendulum swing, and we've thrown away and torn down some good fences. The subtitle to this message could have been, Sacred Cows, When Liberty Turns into a License to Sin. I'm free in Christ. I've tasted His grace. It's so good. I'm so free now. And what we mean by that is I can do anything that feeds my flesh. 
Everything isn't a preference. Everything isn't a gray area. Everything isn't a matter of liberty. The first two messages were this, be careful of letting your preference turn to a requirement for fellowship or acceptance of another believer. But this, this tonight's a little bit of a reminder, be careful of allowing your liberty to turn into a license to sin. I want to remind all of us tonight that the Bible says this, but is he which hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, that is our lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. By the way, yes, holiness is a heart attitude, and it starts on the inside, but a heart attitude will always work its way out in fruit and in externals. And yes, the leaven of the Pharisees is to focus on the external over the internal, but the Bible still says the fruit of the Spirit is. The Bible still, still says, show me your faith by your works. Faith without works is dead. Well, I, there's no requirements. I'm free in Christ. I've got this, and it's just loosey-goosey, whatever feels good. Be careful. Be careful about taking taking every fence down. The Bible still says in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. There are things we can say and things we can do and lives we can live that grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. You can grieve the Spirit of God with some things you allow into your life. God's Word tells us in 2 Corinthians, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Well, all those rules, that was Leviticus, that was the Old Testament, He still says here, come out from among them, and be ye separate. God wants there to be a difference between the holy and the profane. He wants there to be a difference between His children and, and those that don't follow Him, believers and unbelievers. There should be a difference, and yes, it starts in the heart, but it should work its way out in words, in thoughts, in actions, in family relationships, in decisions, in entertainment. It should work its way out in those things in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter number 7 says, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house. Why? Lest thou be a cursed thing like it, but thou shalt utterly destroy it, thou utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Protect your house. Put some fences up. Don't let some things in, parents. Be careful about what's coming into the minds of, of our lives and of our spouses and of our children. First John chapter 2 still says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That's talking about the people of the world. This is talking about the world system, a system that is against God. And he says, don't fall in love with the system of this world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, what's there? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doeth. I, I know some of us, maybe they grew up in certain, certain traditions and maybe certain cultures, we don't like to hear that word, you've got to do something and do. But the Bible says, he that doeth the will of God, don't do some things that are displeasing to God, and do some things that are pleasing to God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, would you read the last phrase with me there aloud? Ready, begin. Do all to the glory. Do all to the glory of God, whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do. Sounds like some external actions. We need to ask ourselves, is that activity glorifying to God? Is that music glorifying to God? 
Is that speech glorifying to God? Is that which I'm promoting on social media glorifying to God? That example I'm setting in my area of liberty, where I don't have the same sacred cow as somebody else, is that glorifying to God? My dress and appearance, is that glorifying to God? My entertainment choices online, my television and movies, is that glorifying to God? What I promote with my lifestyle, with my schedule, the priority that I give to the things of God and to the work of God, is it glorifying to God? My commitment to church or lack thereof, is it glorifying to God? What I prioritize, is it glorifying to God? Here is how some of us, we approach all of these things of the Christian disciplines in life and and Christian commands and Christian living. We approach them all with, why can't I? What's wrong with that? Especially second generation Christians struggle with this. Often those that are saved out of the world, their question is, what else can I do to get closer to God? And and by the way, they have their own struggles and their own issues. This isn't a one's bad and one's good, but those that grow up in the church, it's the opposite. Why can't I do this? Well, how much more can I do here? What can I get away with there? And what the Bible doesn't clearly say, so I guess that's okay. And if we're not careful, but it shouldn't be, can I do this? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. The question isn't just, is this allowed? The question should be, is this holy like God is holy? Be ye holy. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes Christians and preachers like me will take verses like this, will then become judge and jury of what is holy and how that looks in every believer's life, and then will enforce our preferences and our practices and say, if you want to love God, you better look just like me. Paul says, give people some room and some space to figure this out for themselves in some areas and to land where they're going to land. But ever, So I, I'm not here to bind your conscience in the ways that my conscience is bound. But I am here to say, do you have a conscience? Have you taken every fence down because you saw some fences that probably shouldn't have been there? The goal isn't to get as close to the world as we can without crossing the line. The goal is to get as close to God and His Word as we can. I want to give you tonight, and we're getting into our passage, I don't even think I've even read anything from Romans 14 yet. We'll jump into it here. I want to give you four tests for where to put up a fence in your life. Four tests for areas of Christian liberty. I want you to test every belief and practice by four things. When you're asking yourself, is this pleasing to God? Is this something I should be involved in? Is this something that should be in my life? I want you to test every area of belief and practice by these four things. Number one, in light of your conscience. Look at verse number five, if you will. Romans 14, verse number five. The Bible says, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Do you notice this? Good believers disagree on matters of belief and practice. Not matters of foundational faith, but matters of, of belief and practice that affect the way they live their Christian lives. That's what's happening here. They're, they're differing. He said, one person wants to celebrate the high holy days of the Jewish religion, and others think they didn't come from the Jewish religion. We don't need that. It's not a part of my life. Let every man, would you see that in verse 5? Let every man be what, church? The next two words, be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day uh, to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. What does he say? He says, one of the tests of whether or not you should do something is in light of your conscience. Does it, is it going against your conscience? Is there something in your conscience? There are some things. I've had, I've had my own daughter at Christmas break ask me a question of, about some things that some of you have 
have liberty in that I don't personally have liberty in. I won't say it because somebody will think that's my issue and my hobby horse, and it's not. It's really about a, a, it's really about a, a perspective of how we approach these issues. And she asked me about this, and I explained to her, I don't know that, that, in fact, it's not overtly forbidden in Scripture. Here are the reasons for me why I don't have the liberty to allow that into my life. Here's, here's my, and this is my conscience on that. It's really a matter of conscience for me. I can't. Maybe it's some of how I was taught. Maybe it's a testimony issue. Some different, and we had, a, we had a 20, 30 minute conversation about an area that's really pretty widespread in, in even Christianity and in our culture and in a way that it wasn't 50 or 60 years ago. Um, this thing, people would have seen it and thought something negative about someone, and today it's really not viewed in that way at all. And she had some questions. What do you think about that? And we were talking through that. If it contradicts your conscience, don't do it. If you can't do it in faith, believing that God is pleased, it is sin. He tells us that there in, in, at the end of verse number 14, he tells us, he talks about that he that doubteth is, in verse 23, the last verse, he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. He said here, if, if this man cannot eat the meat offered to idols in good conscience, it is a sin for him to eat that meat offered to idols, because it's not of faith. He is going against his conscience to eat that meat. And so this is a matter where it's really personal on some things, and you've got to figure that out for yourself and walk through there. And if your conscience is bothered, you can ask yourself, why is that? When I came here, I think I've mentioned this to you in the first week, when I came here, I was learning a new song every Sunday. This church was singing a song every Sunday that I had never sung. And there were many songs that I had sung and that I knew, but every Sunday there was a song, and for some of them I was like, I don't like that song. I don't, I don't think I like that one. And there was a bother in my spirit. There was a bother in my conscience. And you know what I had to do? I didn't come here to change this church. I didn't come here to bring my agenda and my preferences. I came here to lead this church to do all that we can to reach Orange County and beyond with the gospel of Christ. I had to ask myself, why don't I like that song? Is there scriptural principles there, or is it just a flavor I'm not used to? Why is that that there's a catch in my spirit when we sang that right there? What is the reasoning there? And you know, I use the illustration. I was talking to someone when I first got here that was struggling with some things in this area of music. And I, and I, I gave the illustration. I said, we have to understand that, that sometimes there are different places, again, regions, cultures, generations that have different flavors of things, that it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just different than maybe what we're used to or what we prefer. Now, sometimes it is right and wrong. And, and I gave the illustration, I said, uh, I enjoy Indian food. Anybody here, you like Indian food? You like that? Zach Church, I see you back there. You like Indian food? Do you? No, he does not. Zach doesn't like anything that is not steak and potatoes, I think, and In-N-Out Burger. I think that's his three food groups right there. And, uh, and, and I'm going to preach against that because he doesn't look exactly like me and his choices of diet. I like Indian food. I didn't grow up eating Indian food. And in our home church, there was a, a, a great population of Indian believers, and they would invite us over, and I would get really excited when they would invite us over for a meal. And I'll be honest, there's butter chicken and non bread. Those are kind of the, the, uh, the extent of the Indian food that my kids liked when they were younger. Now, when we moved here, my oldest was in seventh grade, so they were all younger, and they didn't grow up on Indian food. It was a different flavor to them. They didn't like the taste. Butter, chicken, and non bread was about all that they liked in Indian food. I like to try all the different stuff, so much flavor, so many spices, I loved it. And I, and I asked this person, I said, is there anything poisonous about Indian food, yes or no? No. Is there anything wrong with Indian food, yes or no? No. Is Indian food nutritious? Can you eat only a diet of Indian food and be healthy and strong? Yes. 
So is it wrong that my kids don't like Indian food? The answer to that is no. They didn't grow up with it. It's not a taste they've acquired. Now, a child born into an Indian home would would love Indian food probably and not like some of the stuff that my kids like. Who is right? Of course we understand they're nobody. It's, It's a matter of taste and it's a matter of flavor. And I said the same is true. I'm asking you uh, as we're talking about that song or that music, what is it that's displeasing to Christ? What is it? Could it be that maybe it's just a flavor you didn't grow up tasting? And I had to ask myself those things. Why is there a catch in my spirit? Not often and not in a major way, but certain things and certain songs. But, but may I say, you can ask yourself why. Did, did someone else bind your conscience to their personal standards? Is that why you don't like that? And, and may I say this, study Scripture, let God teach you and grow you and guide you. Just because another Christian is comfortable with something doesn't mean you automatically have to be, but just because you're not comfortable with something doesn't mean it's automatically wrong. You need to Test it in light of your conscience. Let every man, he gave two things. They were on opposite sides of the issue. And you know what he said? Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And if you're fully persuaded, ask yourself, why am I fully persuaded? Is scripture informing that persuasion? Or is it just something I heard? Is it just something I saw? Just something I, number two, four tests. Number two, test it in light of your conscience. Number two, test it in light of scripture. Look at verse number seven, if you will. Verse number seven, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. We are living to try to bring honor and glory to him. So guess what? We should find out what he teaches, what's most important in his word, and test it in light of Scripture. What does Scripture say about this issue? Is there a clear command for or against this thing that I'm questioning, that I'm wondering about? And if there's not, then we ask ourselves, is there a clear or are there clear principles that could guide us in matters of practice or belief on this? If I could ask the staff guys to stop texting about my message, I'm getting those notifications on my iPad right here. Thank you. And it's a little bit of a joke. I'm all right. But I'm getting something about white people and bland food, Ryan sent. I'm not sure. Something about Indian food. I didn't have the time to read it, but I appreciate you paying good attention back there. And... uh, And Sammy just gave like a barf emoji or something, I don't know. So put our phones away, young people, and let's pay attention to the message here. Here's the reality. Even when there aren't clear commands, there are often helpful principles that guide us in areas of belief or practice. The immature believer says, show me a verse where that's commanded or forbidden. The mature believer says, what are the principles that should guide my thinking in that area? What are the principles that should guide me in that area? I don't believe the Bible prohibits debt. I don't think all debt is automatically a sin. Our church has debt. If debt was an automatic sin, I think Pastor Tomlinson led us into sin. I don't believe that's true. But the Bible does have much to say about debt and finances. It warns strongly against it in certain areas and about being wise about how and when we go into it. And by the way, I believe Pastor Tomlinson was wise, and the the church leadership and the deacons and the church family that voted, I believe we were wise uh, about how we went into it and how much we went into. And it talks about, the Bible does talk about our mindset to aggressively get out of it if we find ourselves there. The Bible doesn't have direct commands there, but it does have principles to guide us in areas of life, faith, and practice. Not everything has direct commands. Thou shalt not watch movies with godless examples and scenes. That's not a verse in the Bible. But there are principles. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Whatsoever things are good, pure, lovely, just, think on these things. We can take those principles and realize we shouldn't be feeding godless, vile content into our minds. Well, my pastor growing up, he preached against this cartoon, and he preached about that, and he said if if you had a Pokemon card, you were going to worship Satan someday, and that's not true. I had a Pokemon card, and I never worshiped Satan. And so what happens is we maybe take some examples where some things that were maybe personal preferences and maybe from a good heart, a, a sincere heart to keep us away from unhealthy things, where maybe some extra biblical things might have been. I remember when I first got saved, Smurfs was one of my my favorite cartoons. I walked in as a fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade boy in the church, and I heard this angry guy up in the front preaching against the Smurfs. That angry guy became my father-in-law. <laughs> preaching against the Smurfs? What are you talking about? Smurfs are awesome. I might have had a Smurf-themed birthday party. I don't remember. It was great. But I think one of the Smurfs was named Beelzebub. And another, like that one, Craig? <laughs> Craig got a good laugh out of that. And I don't remember why else, but like little blue people were in Revelation or something. I don't know what it was. I don't know. But you know what? I know the heart behind that was, parents, be careful what content you're letting into your family's lives. Now, do I have a biblical conviction against the Smurfs? Absolutely not. I watch it every night. <laughs> but, but be careful, be careful that we don't just throw it all away because we heard some things preached as command. It didn't have commands, but there were some good principles behind it. Number three, test every area of belief and practice in light of eternity. Would you read verses 10 through 12 aloud with me? Verses 10 through 12, let's read those aloud. Ready? Begin. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's a sobering thought, isn't it, church? We need to test our areas of liberty in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will give an account. Every knee shall bow. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll give an account of ourselves. He's giving this in context with people landing on different areas. And he says, why do you judge your brother? It's not, we have a judge. It's not your job to make sure he's doing what you think he should be doing. And why do you set it not your brother? You really kind of push him off and and say, he's of no value. Why do you do that? God can determine what value he's of or not of. He said, here's what you need to focus on. Understand you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible, and you study that in the Greek, that's the bima seat judgment we call it. It comes from the ancient Greek times when they would have uh, athletic events, kind of like the early Olympics. And there would be a judge standing. You go to Greece and you can find uh, uh, relics from this standing up uh, uh, elevated, and the athletes would come and the judge would decide if they had run their race correctly, and would place a crown, a wreath upon their head. And here's what the Bible says. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ And the Lord, our righteous judge, will look and say, did they run the race the right way? And those that do, the Bible says he'll give a crown that we can cast at his feet. That thing that, well, I have liberty. I have freedom. Ah, what's the Bible? Why can't I? Show me a chapter and verse. Make those decisions in light that one day I'll stand before God and give an account. In light of eternity, and then lastly, 
Lastly, in light of edification, verse number 13. So understanding that we're all going to stand before God and give an account of ourselves, verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Would you skip down to verse number 19? Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. The question isn't only, am I hurting anyone by doing this? The mature Christian also asks, am I helping anyone by doing this? This area of liberty, this area, I saw a post today on social media, people I've never met in another state, Christians having a little bit of a tiff over an area that some believers would say is a matter of preference, an area that I preached um, in detail on earlier this year. And in their conversation, the one thing they failed to mention was, your liberty could be a stumbling block for another believer. Your liberty in this area, by flaunting your liberty, you could be causing somebody that doesn't have the strength you have, that doesn't have the, the, the liberty that you have, you could be causing them to go against their conscience and causing them to sin, even if it's not a sin for you. Those areas of liberty in light of edification, Am I helping to point people to be more like Jesus, or am I causing them to be tripped up because of what I'm flaunting in my life? We ought to ask ourselves, how will this affect other Christians? Look at verse 15. Paul tells them, verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Paul already said it's not wrong to eat that meat, but he said don't do it, or at least don't do it in front of that person if it's going to be a hindrance to their walk with God. We should ask ourselves in the areas of liberty, how will this affect other Christians? Verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Paul said, that thing that you choose to do, how is it going to affect your friends, your kids, your fellow church members? The higher you move up in spiritual leadership, the less your focus should be on your rights and the more it should be on your responsibilities. Paul told us here, leaders limit liberty. And when I say higher you move up, I'm not talking about some career path, I'm talking about spiritual maturity. The more spiritually mature we are, we ought to say, I have the right to do this, and don't you infringe on my Christian liberty rights. Paul said, I'll gladly infringe on my liberty if it will edify another believer to get closer to Christ. We ought to live in light of edification. How will this affect other Christians, Paul tells them. Secondly, we ought to ask ourselves, how will this affect non-Christians? Verse number 16, he says, let not then your good be evil spoken of. There are, there are commands of what Christians ought to do and ought not to do, and then there are also just matters of wisdom, of testimony, and godliness. I heard one pastor friend of mine say, uh, for him, certain things, actually my brother-in-law, we were having a conversation on some areas, and he said certain things for him were not a wrong or right issue, they were a light issue. His testimony. It's not a matter of can I or, or can't I, it's a matter of if I do, does this weaken my testimony in the community? Does this weaken my ability to witness? Does this, does this, does this weaken? It's a question that all of us have to answer in our areas. How will this affect non-Christians? Is this affecting my testimony with believers or unbelievers? What are your choices and actions saying to others about who Christ is and what his followers look like? And then thirdly, we ought to ask, how will this affect my spiritual testimony and growth? Look at verse number 22, please. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that 
thing which he alloweth, that thing that you allow in your life, it's a good thing if it's not something that actually draws you farther from God. You condemn yourself in the liberty you've allowed there. It's, it's, it's weakening your testimony. It's weakening your spiritual growth. And by the way, it might not be right or wrong objectively. It might be an area that good believers can differ, but for you, it's not the wisest choice for one reason or another. It's an area of testimony and growth. I read this statement in a book I read about a decade ago. Pastor Paul Chapel said, younger leaders don't always have the perspective to consider the potential effect their decisions will have 20 years down the road. With that in mind, give your forefathers a vote in the decisions you make that will carry ripple effects to your descendants. What is he saying there? We don't always see how this is going to affect my testimony, my growth, and those that I'm leading. So let some wise people speak in, people that have been down the road you're walking and maybe have put up different fences than you. Ask them, why'd you put that fence up there? You might find out there's wisdom you never thought about. Why, why, why'd you take that fence down there? In our lives, tested in light of edification. Not just is this hurting anybody. Well, it's not hurting anybody, so I can do it. Is it helping anybody? Is it a stumbling block to someone else? 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, I already read that verse for you, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But the next verse says this, give none offense, look at this, neither to the Jews, those that believe, nor to the Gentiles, those that don't, nor to the church of God. The Jews, the religious, the Gentiles, those away from God, the church of God. What is he saying? Ask yourself, what does this do with my testimony to believers, to non-believers, to my spiritual growth and testimony? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Ask and test it in light of edification. To summarize, we ought to test every matter of liberty by asking ourselves, is this to God's glory, others' edification, and my spiritual development? Is this to God's glory, others' edification, and my spiritual development? And then may I say this, a great rule to live by, if it's doubtful, don't do it. Doesn't he say that in chapter 14, verse 1? Receive those that are weak in the faith, but not to doubtful disputations. Don't get caught up in a bunch of doubtful debates that weaken things. There's nothing wrong with holding yourself to a higher standard than the lowest possible denominator commanded in Scripture. For some in this room, don't let the legalism you may have experienced in others lead you to a license to sin in your own life. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. But some of you do. I spoke to our staff four or five years ago, beware of the pendulum swing. No matter where we grow up, we see the faults and failures of it. No matter what family we grow up in, no matter what church we grow up in, and if we're not careful, we let the pendulum swing from one unhealthy, unbiblical model to another unhealthy, unbiblical model. And we think we've been enlightened. And guess what your kids are gonna do? They're gonna swing back over here because they've been enlightened. Be careful about that. If it's doubtful, don't do it. And don't let the legalism you may have experienced in others lead you to a license to sin in your own life. Don't answer one unbiblical, unhealthy approach with a different unbiblical, unhealthy approach. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. He said, I have liberty to do just about anything. 
in these areas of preference. He's not talking about direct sin. Obviously, God changed him. You know, he said, I'm a new creature. He was a murderer at once, and God transformed his life. But he said, I have no problem with the, the Jewish laws that I grew up with. They don't bind my conscience at all. Those things that, that Paul, I, Paul had no problem eating steak and lobster. I don't have a problem eating bacon wrap filet. That's not a problem for me. I grew up and, and I would have been looked at as unclean if I, he said, but here's what he said, just because I can doesn't mean I should. They're all lawful to me, but they're not all expedient. They're not all the best decision, the best fence to put up or take down. They're not all those things. Maybe you or I have allowed some things that are lawful but aren't expedient. And we need to consider a stronger position in our lives, not a weaker one. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our families, and for the sake of our church, don't take down every fence. Build some godly, helpful, gospel-shaped fences in your life that will help us to better bring glory to God and help those He places in our lives. What area do we need to consider stepping it up in the Christian life? Yes, it starts on the relationship and it works its way out. Yes, it's an inside-out Christianity, but it should be somewhere on the outside. It should change something about our words, our thoughts, our actions. It should change our priorities and our entertainment. It should change our relationships and our viewing habits. It should change the places we do go or don't go, the things we partake of, we ingest or don't, we put in our bodies or not. It should change some things. No, don't start. You're not going to clean yourself up. Don't start on the outside and hope it works its way in, but don't stop on the inside because faith without works is dead. The Bible still says, be holy as I am holy. Yes, there are some gray areas, and sometimes we as pastors, we're guilty of preaching gray areas as black and white issues. Yes, but everything's not a gray area. Everything's not moral relativism. Everything's not up for debate. And even those that are, we should test them in light of those four areas, in light of our conscience, according to Romans 14, in light of Scripture, in light of the judgment seat of Christ, and in light of edification. How is this going to affect believers? How's it going to affect unbelievers? And how's it going to affect my spiritual growth and testimony? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Church family, one person said, before you tear down a fence, you should probably find out why it was there in the first place. It's probably good wisdom for us. And there might be some fences that were regional, cultural, generational, preferential. That to be honest, God is not dishonored that we tear them down. You might be able to eat meat offered to idols, and a brother can't, and God is pleased with you both. Those things are true, and I spent two messages preaching on that. But may I counteract that I don't believe the thing we're facing in most of Christianity in America today are too many fences. I think maybe, maybe we've got too much of a free range going on. It might not be that we have too many sacred cows. It might be that everything goes. We have liberty in every area, and the Bible says... Don't abuse the grace of God for your own pleasure and for your own glory. Some of these things are matters of personal decision, husbands and wives and families and teenagers and single adults. You're going to have to make some decisions. Some of them are not areas that are up for debate, but those that are. Test them not just by what's popular, what is everyone else doing, what do I feel like doing. Test them through that, the matrix of those four questions, those four characteristics, and ask God, Is this drawing me closer to you? Is this making me more like you? Is this causing me to be a better testimony for you? And if it's not, then limit your liberty. As Paul said he would do for the sake of the gospel, 
for the sake of his testimony and for the sake of the edification of other believers. It's not a bad thing to not do everything that you have liberty to do. Don't tear down every fence. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.